It is a Friday show. Thanks for coming back. We were not around on Wednesday, as I figured would be the case, maybe a couple times during the summer. Not able to get any interviews this week, so we really didn't have a ton of news. But on this show, listen, without interviews, without any highlights, of course, there's still no games to play highlights of. We still have plenty of news to pass along to you, helped out by what took place on Thursday with the release by the American Athletic Conference of the basketball, not schedules, but the pairings. We'll get into that here in just a little bit. Also, we told you about a certain website that sort of populates anytime it learns about games that are added to schedules, even when teams don't announce said games. Well, we've got that for men's basketball. In fact, possibly the season opener to tell you about here in just a little bit. Oh, and the whole not having enough interviews to do a show thing's about to come to an end because the much-awaited dates for the photo shoots have been known to me, and the first photo shoot will be not this upcoming Monday, but the following. And it times out pretty well because we actually have two more weeks of our three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Bulls Beat schedule. Then once August hits, we're on a daily show schedule, and don't worry, we will have no problems with that because actually the football photo shoots are going to be split up And this is a great decision. Into two days, offense one day, defense the next. And again, it's not this upcoming Monday and Tuesday, but the following. So I'll get a chance to interview what I get to do. And this is something we started doing several years back. And I'm very appreciative. It was just football at the beginning. And now it's every sport, which is fantastic. And that is, I get set up there in the nice, spacious hardwood club so the players can spread out and chill and relax. And if there's a couple waiting, they get to hang out and make fun of the person who's getting interviewed and then do their own interview with me. So these will be three to five minute chats with a lot of individuals. It'll be fun. Guess I'll get a chance to talk to Gary Bohannon. Did you see what Dave Aranda, the Baylor head coach, said yesterday about the decision to what led to Bohannon, the guy who was Baylor's quarterback last year, end up entering the transfer portal as Blake Shapin, who was the freshman who actually played in the Big 12 title game. And by the way, the Baylor Bears were picked to win the Big 12 this year. So in spring, as part of the decision, Aranda, and he explained it very well, he said, I think I look at people before players. This one we had to look at who could be the better player for us. With Gary, there is no me without him, no last year without him. You walk into my house and I have photos of my kids posing with Gary. It was difficult to do, talking about the decision to announce that the kid who threw for about 600 yards as opposed to Bohannon's 2200 last year due to Bohannon being injured of course Blake Shapin is their starting quarterback and what he did say was it became apparent with the spring game that Blake was our better passer but also Aranda was really cool in explaining how listen I look at people first and I wanted to give if he wanted to Bohannon the option to transfer so that's why he's with the Bulls and you look at a lot of the including the Shrine 1000 list where they trying to get some hype for that game went ahead and announced 1000 players basically that are on their watch list so pretty extensive list there and included four bulls including Bohannon but you look at the majority of the national situations looking in on the bulls and it's almost like it's a given that Bohannon because he came from Baylor of course is going to be the starter something tells me and we'll get head coach Jeff Scott's thoughts on this that there's going to be a little bit of a competition between Bohannon and one Timmy McLean. The others, by the way, on that Shrine Bowl 1000, Antonio Greer, 
Donovan Jennings and Xavier Weaver. Anyway, we'll be talking to a lot of football players in a couple of weeks, and we'll start to have those interviews on the show. We'll probably be able to spread them out throughout the entire month leading up to the actual start of the football season, which is early September. Also have scheduled photo shoots for women's soccer the following week. That'll be on a Wednesday, August the 3rd, and that's actually just a few days before their exhibition opener. So we'll talk to Denise Schilte-Brown, the head women's soccer coach, since that'll be the first sport that is actually playing. And she got back to me. She's been out of town, but she'll be back early next week, so we'll get her on the program for sure. And then the following week, so we're still talking another three weeks from now, roughly, men's soccer and volleyball, which are your other two fall sports. Those are your four teams that will broadcast for you live on USF Bulls Unlimited this fall. Now, on to the winter schedules, and there are only two teams that we do play-by-play on in the winter. That would be men's and women's basketball. Well, we now know, as I said, not their schedules yet, but their pairings for conference play. The last year of the 11-team formation, at least for basketball in the American Athletic Conference, is sort of another year and a final one, obviously, to repeat what they've done recently, and that is an 18-game men's basketball schedule. There was some thought of a true double round robin 20 game schedule and then just 16 on the women's side probably frankly works out more for jose fernandez's women's team that there are fewer conference games because let's face it the american especially since uconn left isn't as strong of a league ucf has certainly especially with last year's championship and three game sweep of the bulls proven to be more than formidable but the knight's going to be ducking out next year of course the Conference will have 14 teams, so this will be completely different. But for this one final year, the Bulls will still have plenty of opportunities for their non-conference schedule. Last year, they had 14 games out of conference, including five in multi-team events. So, with the 16-game conference schedule, the significance of Thursday's news was basically which teams you're playing twice. There's 10 opponents, 16-game conference schedule. That means you're playing, do the math, six teams twice, that's 12. And then four, the remaining teams, just once apiece. So in the past, and this was interesting, I found with the announcement of the opponents yesterday, in the past, I think it was a little bit more stringently done. I think there was a purpose to it when you had UConn and you had USF at the top. You wanted to make sure, of course, they always played each other twice. But what the conference also did was ensure that the other top teams basically were on UConn's and USF schedule twice, the idea being that those stronger teams get a stronger RPI, and frankly, the weaker teams that probably aren't going to get into the NCAA tournament with their computer rankings kind of play each other twice. Well, that doesn't really look to be the case. Of course, the Bulls are always going to play UCF twice. There, I said always. As long as they're in the same conference, they're going to play each other twice, and that is definitely the case. That was a no-brainer decision. You can't have one war on I-4. But frankly, Tulane, to me, has emerged as the other consistent best other team, if you will. Maybe throw Houston in there, but you look at it, Houston was actually below 500 in conference last year. Temple was actually better, ended up above 500, but on a consistent basis hasn't been there. But UCF is only playing Tulane and Houston once each two of those other top five teams. So found that unusual. The Bulls will be playing Tulane and Houston twice, along with SMU and Tulsa. The teams they'll only face once, and coming to the Yingling Center in this case will be East Carolina and Temple, so no roadie to Greenville, no road trip to Philadelphia. And the two places that the Bulls will go with no return trip this year, Cincinnati and Wichita State, a couple teams that were towards the bottom of the conference last year, 
So from the competitive angle, I think this schedule fits the Bulls' needs for hyping up their net ranking. As far as their non-conference schedule, we don't know it yet. Oh, but do you remember that uh, little gathering before the NCAA tournament matchup with Miami? We got a pretty strong hint or two or three or four. It's next year, but can we expect a similar schedule next year? Everybody knows we're going back to Texas. We're at TCU. We're at NC State. Uh, We got Alabama at home. We're playing in the Gulf Coast Showcase. That's three games, and we're playing in uh, out in Vegas. Well, we still got a couple more to schedule. Sounds good. Now those multi-team events, remember last year, turned out to produce some pretty good matchups and results. Even the loss was good in the Bahamas to UConn. Of course, the Bulls beat two top ten teams, Stanford and Oregon. They probably played one of the most complete games of the year in West Palm, beating West Virginia, and then struggled in the second half against Ole Miss. And a flashback to that game when... My buddy from, won't even say the school, but the next game's broadcaster was trying to set up and might have kicked me off the air accidentally. But the part that you guys didn't hear, the first minute and a half of the second half against Ole Miss was probably the worst minute and a half of the season. So guy might have known what he was doing. But either way, big-time opponents. Also, I have a little intel. Don't go uh, booking trips to Vegas just yet. But either way, you just heard it's going to be another strong non-conference schedule. But we now know the pairings for the conference portion of it. As far as the dates, that'll be released next, one of these days soon. Although we can tell you that the first time that there will be a non-conference play is basically right before and right after the new year. Now onto the men's side where it wasn't as big of a deal, the announcement, because you have 18 games on your schedule. There's only two teams that you'll only play once, meaning there's one road trip that you won't take among all the American Athletic Conference institutions. And unfortunately, I think a lot of men's basketball fans would agree with me in saying, unfortunately, Tulane is the team that the Bulls will not be visiting this year. So no road trip to New Orleans, at least for a basketball game. You can go to New Orleans whenever you want. And the one team that won't be coming to the Yingling Center is the team that's likely to be the favorite in the American. And some people's pick to reach the Final Four again. That would be the Houston Cougars. Then again, we should get used to not playing the Houston Cougars, then again, they could end up in the same conference one of these days. As far as the non-conference schedule, yes, I told you about the D1 docket. These folks are just obsessed with schedules. If you want to follow them on Twitter, and I think it's a cool thing, by the way, it's a cool obsession, it's at the D1 docket. They'll let you know when a school has released its full non-conference schedule, such as one in the conference. We'll tell you about it at the end of the hour with Around the American. Bulls aren't one of those teams, in fact, only 20 or so, so far out of more than 350 have announced their full non-conference schedules. But whether or not schools announce them or not, if A, another team announces its schedule, they will fill it in, for example, on USF Slate, or if they just find out about it. So apparently someone at the D1 docket has found out who the Bulls are playing in their season opener. So while stressing that neither school has actually announced this, I'm just pointing out if you want to go to d1docket.blogspot.com, that's d1docket.blogspot.com. You can see for yourself, apparently the Bulls are on the very first day of the college basketball season, which we know the date is Monday, November the 11th. We'll be hosting Southeast Missouri. It's a team out of the Ohio Valley Conference. Went 14-18 and 18 last year. Here I am talking like it's official, but I did find one interesting thing about the Red Hawks. They have been in the same conference ever since they joined Division One. They've been playing basketball for 115 years, but Division One for just more than 30, all of them in the Ohio Valley Conference. So there's, again, not official word, but 
likely word on the first opponent for Brian Gregory's team. And by the way, I'm still working to just get our schedules to match up so that I can talk to maybe the head coach, but definitely some of the new incoming players. Tyler Harris, the transfer from Memphis, Celta Miguel, maybe Keyshawn Bryant. Oh yeah, speaking of those guys, those three, along with Jameer Chaplin and Big Russ, Russ Chiwa, are John Rothstein's projected starting five for the Bulls as collegehoopstoday.com has been doing extensive conference previews. And oh yeah, he has the Bulls pick to finish right in the middle, sixth place out of 11 American Athletic Conference teams. Not a bad projection considering that they finished in the last spot last year. Of course, Houston picked to win it according to John Rothstein, very respected national college basketball media. Sort Memphis picked to finish second, no surprise there, ahead of Cincinnati and then Temple, Tulane, USF. Bottom five, by the way, the Knights, SMU, which, of course, lost some big-time pieces. Wichita in ninth, that didn't seem possible, but that's where he has them picked. Then Tulsa, and finally East Carolina. And speaking of picking the American Athletic Conference order finish, I was honored to receive the opportunity to for football. Yeah, those media days are coming up soon, so get ready for the media poll. And if you want to play the media that is not respecting the Bulls and football card, you can't play it with me. I picked them to finish in a pretty respectable seventh place. And by the way, I'm hoping for even better than that. Can't wait for football season. Coming up, a variety of notes, a lot of outstanding student athletes being recognized, also current members of both golf teams, getting some stuff done. More information for you as we like to tell you about as many things going on in USF land as possible here on Bulls Beat. Stay tuned. This is the Unlimited Unloaded page. Just talked about basketball. If you head to the USF Women's Basketball and Men's Basketball Twitter pages, that'd be USF MBB for men and W for women. You can see some cool videos that were sent out yesterday. Elena Chinecki on the women's side, Corey Walker on the men's side. Basically some very fancy production going on. There are a lot more folks in the social media department, and they are loading up great content for you on the USF side. I can guarantee you that. And, of course, we are always keeping an eye on some past bulls. We talk about Shane McClanahan a lot on this show. He did it again against the Boston Red Sox. Pretty darn good chance that he will, you know, okay, start the All-Star game. I know that's the big discussion right now. Really, I know Shane doesn't, I'm not going to say doesn't care, but he's not hung up on it. He's going to be an All-Star. The Rays are doing well. And, oh yeah, he could win the Cy Young. That, to me, is kind of bigger than being All-Star Game starter. But he certainly could be that as well. Sarasota Herald Tribune did a nice story on Orion Kirkering. We told you about his experience pitching in a draft showcase in San Diego. Funny to read more about it, how he was actually pitching for about two and a half minutes. But to be able to do it in a Major League ballpark, Petco Park, and to show it off in front of Major League Baseball scouts was a big thing. Of course, he got used to pitching in front of scouts his last season with the Bulls. High likelihood that he gets drafted. He's ranked around the 200 mark, so if you do the math, that means he's going to get drafted 6th, 7th, 8th round and no longer be with the Bulls, but that's what you want, your guys to have success. And Ryan Kirkring certainly looks like he is headed in that direction. Speaking of directions, due north of the baseball stadium and right there next to Corbett Soccer Stadium and, well, everywhere around campus, it seems, you can't help but see that indoor performance facility moving along. Now, it's obvious, I don't think it's been announced, this is not something you announce, that it's not going to be ready, you know, in the next month, but it'll be ready at some point in the fall, and the outside is pretty much done. I drove by there yesterday, and there were 
cranes finishing up the outside structure. Now it's all about what's going on inside. I don't know if you saw Michael Kelly tweet out there's going to be a nice observation deck there. Right now it's just observing a bunch of tractors and trucks and dirt that's getting ready to be shaped into foundation. And we, of course, when we find out more about the expected completion date, and I'm guessing when you, the fans, can jump in there, they're not going to shut the fans out of this new facility. Trust me on that. We will pass it along to you here on Bulls Beat. Speaking of the football team, just saw as we were recording this segment, Daniel DePrada, the special teams coordinator, make sure that everyone knows how to pronounce his name. He is getting on every single preseason All-American watch list as far as special teams go. Brian Batty. Yes, it's not Batty. It's not Batai. I don't know if anyone's called him Batai, but it's Batty. You put the stress on the T at the end, and I'm sure that other football teams will be uh, stressing to kick it away from that guy. So that's going to be an interesting saga to follow in a good way for the football team. Said there were some outstanding student athletes. We all know who they are. You've probably heard most of these names, but great to see them get their rewards. And again, we'll get to Georgina Cork in a second. She is no longer on the softball team, but she will be still part of it. So it's almost a given that we're bringing her up. But let's talk about a few other items. First of all, SAC, which is the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. It's not just something at USF. Many schools have this. Has named its four officers for the upcoming year. And they are Ben Kales, who is a member of the cross country and the track and field team. Michaela Washington, Mac from volleyball. Vivian Pond from softball. And Antonio Greer. So Ben Kales and Michaela Washington are going to be the co-presidents. Pawn will be the treasurer, Greer the diversity liaison. In addition, Bailey Leistel will be a secretary on the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. Nice article on GoUSFBulls.com that speaks about all those individuals. Looking forward to talking to Mr. Greer and Miss Washington as well. Not sure if Cross Country is going to have a photo shoot day, but if it doesn't, I'll get a hold of Ben Kales independent of that. I want to talk to these guys about, and gals, their roles. Lystel and Palm both on the softball team. Again, I'll try and grab them off to the side if I can. Tennis, women's tennis specifically getting some big-time recognition for its performance in the classroom as a Division I women's all-academic team. You have to have at least a 3.2, so... That was pretty easy, and to be on the ITA's list as an NCAA Division I Women's Scholar Athlete, you must have a 3.5 in the current year, and Sierra Berry, Laura Pellissier, Margaret Timmermans, and Selena Lally were all named for that accomplishment. Congratulations. Again, go usfbulls.com. Has more on that as it does on Georgina Korik. She is the school's nominee for NCAA Woman of the Year now. There is a ways to go before she would be the winner (laughs) because it's for all three divisions. And yesterday, the NCAA announced all of the school's nominations. This is, again, every school, Division I through three. There were a total of 577 graduating student athletes. So it recognizes you for your academics, your athletics, your community service. And I got to tell you, Georgina Cork has a chance at least to make the finals. The conferences themselves are tasked with the very difficult situation of putting out two final nominees. And then from there, the NCAA has to select basically 10 from each division, 30 finalists. So she's going up against everybody. But Georgina Cork stands a chance is what I'm saying. Going up against a lot of talented women and seems to be the case all summer long for the leader of the women's golf team, Melanie Green, and she is still going at a big event in 
Pinehurst, North Carolina. The North and South Women's Am started off with stroke play, then 64 for match play. She is into the final 16. Got teed off this morning. She is the number 15 seed in this event, won her event yesterday, one up. Today is one of those rugged days where if you win your first match, you got to play in the quarterfinals later, then the semifinals and championship will follow. Also, Erica Smith, who we've spoken to recently for this show, former women's golf standout, still a standout at women's golf, but no longer at USF. She is on to her pro career. If you want to go back and listen to that interview, it is on the SoundCloud page, Unlimited Unloaded. She talks about the entire situation. Right now, she is right near the top of the leaderboard. Just three shots off the lead, tied for fourth through two rounds of the latest event there. This is in Texarkana, Arkansas. And speaking of recent former Bulls standouts, Adrian Bilhart. Did you see the video that I retweeted on Thursday was part of a pretty big comeback? His South Georgia Tormenta FC team was down 4 to nothing to Greenville at home, 30 minutes in. Generally, when you're down 4 to nothing, you're not going to win in soccer. But his team ended up pulling off a 5-5 tie. And guess who had the tying goal? Adrian Bilhart in the 88th minute. Pretty cool video, actually, if you want to seek it out. Place was kind of going crazy. And if you're curious, that league is a step below the one that the Rowdies play in. So it's MLS, then the Rowdies are in the USL Championship, then South Georgia, Tormenta FC, Adrian Bilhart, Alex Morell, a former Rowdy player, actually, on that roster as well. So, hey, he's getting along in his professional career. Just a couple seasons ago was playing with the Bulls men's soccer team. Look forward to bringing you those games here in just a few weeks. And since we did not do a show on Wednesday, didn't have a chance to talk about a press conference that was on Monday, and that is for the new National Indoor Soccer League team that will be playing at the Yingling Center, a league that started up just a couple years ago until Monday, just had four franchises looking to add a sixth. And what I think is cool about it is every franchise has a men's and a women's team and they play doubleheaders, and the whole idea is for equal pay. So it's fun. You know, indoor soccer is a lot more fast-paced. It's more like hockey than the regular traditional soccer match. Those matches will begin in December and certainly will be something we talk about here on the show just because that's during basketball season. So there's going to be a lot of movement at the Yingling Center. I have no idea what the schedule is going to look like, but I do know that it might take away, for example, I don't know. I don't know what the schedule looks like for the NISL, but I do know that both the men's and the women's teams, even though the Muma Center is where they practice for the most part, do like, of course, to get in practices on the actual court they're playing. And with volleyball matches also going on at the Yingling Center, as we previously discussed, a handful of them, it's going to be pretty busy there at the YC. Does anyone else call it the YC? I do, just to myself, and now I just said it on the air. Another sport that we are looking forward to, along with watching Mindy McCord on Twitter just racking up the future Bulls for the lacrosse team. Don't forget, beach volleyball has been added. A coach is expected to be named one of these days. Well, the NCAA committee went ahead and changed the format for postseason. Yes, again, we're a ways away from worrying about the Bulls and the postseason format for women's beach volleyball. But like women's lacrosse, it's worthy of noting how the sport has grown. And of course, it was mostly teams from California and or out west. And now recently, Tulane, as far as American Athletic Conference teams and a lot of other schools in the state of Florida, FAU, FGCU, have added beach volleyball, and the tournament for the first time was 16 teams last year. 
Now, the format has changed in two ways. It'll still be 16 teams, but what they did last season was, I guess prior to it, it was a double elimination format like you have in the College World Series for both baseball and softball. Well, they'll switch it to a single elimination. I guess the first round getting from 16 to 8 was single round, and then it became double elimination. Straight through single elimination is the new format, and and this is something that, if you don't know, happens in Division 2, and I've always found it a little bit unfair, even though it makes complete sense. Division two, you don't have as big travel budgets. And what they do for the NCAA tournament fields, no matter what, is every region is just that. The South region has to be six teams or eight teams from the South. You could be the seventh best team in the South and be way better than the you know third team in the East, but not get in over them because it was done that way. Well, I guess that's how it was done in the sport of beach volleyball. I don't know how many from the West, I'm guessing a lot, but now it's going to be a true national field where the committee's not going to be required to, say, pick four teams from, I don't know, L.A. <laughs> so, again, a few years away from USF starting this war, but a sign that that one is growing. We love covering all the sports, and yes, including the two new ones added to the field at USF Athletics. That's going to do it for Bulls Beat on a Friday. I'm Derek Sharp.